I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to start a brand new series today called Exposing the Lies. Do you realize that a lie doesn't have to be true to affect you as if it were true? Let me say it again. A lie doesn't have to be true to affect you as if it were true. I'm always amazed at those people who were wrongfully accused, you know, put in prison or something for 20 or 30 years. And then all of a sudden it comes out, DNA evidence comes out and exonerates them. And maybe they had been falsely accused or lied about. Listen, the lie that was told about them, it wasn't even true, but it affected them as if it was true. They were put in a cage for years of their life because of a lie. Even though the lie wasn't true, it affected them as if it were. Research shows that our lie detecting ability is, when we go to detect a lie, it's about 53% of the chance we can tell a lie over the truth. That's basically like flipping a coin. I guess, no, that's not very good, right? Not very good odds. How many of you guys have heard about fake news recently? Anybody heard about that? They say on social media that lies spread faster on social media than the truth does. In fact, they did this, these uh, research studies, and the truth took about six times longer to reach people than falsehood. Now, I want you to think about what I've just said, that a lie doesn't have to be true for it to affect you as if it were. It's hard for us to detect truth, basically like a flip of a coin, and falsehood spreads six times faster than the truth. What if this were actually happening, not just in social media, but what if this were actually happening inside of us? What if, what if it's, uh, we were being affected by lies, and it, even though it's a lie, it's, it's still affecting us as if it were true? What if it's hard for us to, to, to distinguish when it's a lie or when it's not? And what if falsehood was spreading in us faster than the truth? Don't you think Satan would try to leverage that ability on the inside of us? to cause harm and disconnect and control? Absolutely. Scripture says that he's the father of lies. This is what he does. This is what he does. He, and so I think it's important for us to expose those lies. How many of you guys would like to see some lies exposed so that you can walk a little bit freer than when you came in? That's what happens when we expose these things. And so what I want to do is I want to look at some lies today, and we're going to expose them. I'm going to look at one in particular, and it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 to the Garden of Eden. And if you aren't familiar with this, I mean, I'm sure everybody is familiar with this, but, uh, you know, turn to it in your Bible, your phone, or you can just read on the screen behind me. But let's look at this. It says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field and the, that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, tree, the fruit of the trees in the garden. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. There's a couple things I don't understand about this story, uh, a lot of things. One of the things I don't understand is why in Sunday school they put up the flannel graph of this. How many of you guys remember that in Sunday school, like the pictures of, like, why are you doing that? You know, just, just don't do that. Um, but there's a lie in here that I, I had not seen until just about a month or two ago. And I don't know why I hadn't seen it, but it's like right, it's staring me right in front of the face now that I've seen it. And so I want to share it to you. I don't know why I couldn't connect the dots before, but here's how it goes. Satan basically says to Eve, God doesn't want you to be like him. 
And as a result of feeling alienated and disconnected, Eve takes the bait along with Adam and original sin happens as a result of disconnection. And so here's the lie I want to expose today. And it's this lie. You don't belong. See, Satan has been, he told this lie to Eve and to Adam. You don't belong. God doesn't want you to be like him. And he began to tell this lie over and over again, all throughout history, all throughout scripture. You can see this. I don't have time to go through all of them. Let me just share a few of them. Jacob and Esau, many of you guys know the story. Jacob, because he bought into the lie, you don't belong. He tried to disguise himself to become someone else just to fit in to get favor from his father. Another story is Joseph and his brothers. You know, Joseph had a special coat, and so Satan could sew in this lie to the brothers that you don't belong, your father doesn't love you. And as a result of that, they staged their brother's murder and sold him into slavery. Because Satan continues, and you can go scripture after scripture, story after story, and you can see at the root of it, it's this lie, you don't belong. It's a powerful lie that he's been telling. And because of this lie... It gets an unhealthy culture on the inside of us. How do you guys know when we believe a lie, an unhealthy culture is the result of it, right? And you end up doing things that you normally would not do in a healthy culture. So Jacob deceives because there's an unhealthy culture. The, Joseph's brothers, they do all of that because there was an unhealthy culture. And I believe that Satan has been telling that lie. And I believe every single person in this room has been told that lie by Satan at some point or the other. You don't belong. You don't belong in that group. You don't belong in that church. You don't belong on that team. You don't belong in that leadership. You don't belong at that business. You don't belong at that family. You don't belong. And he's a master at getting us deceived. He's a master. You say, well, but, but Sean, the reality is I didn't belong because of this and this and this. And listen, I don't care what the circumstances is. Satan will use all of it as a lens for you to look through. He's a master at it. He, he gets us deceived. You say, no, but it was reality. Listen if, you, listen, if you are deceived, you don't know you're deceived. And this is where I, I say it all the time. What does it feel like to be wrong? It feels like being right until it's revealed that you're wrong. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been wrong, but being wrong in the moment before revelation felt completely like I was right. And, and I say that to say right now, you may feel like reality is that you don't belong. And I would just ask you this morning to question that because what does it feel like to be wrong? It feels like being right. And I believe that Satan will twist and, and, and this is what he does. The result is we pull back the result is we miss out. The result is that we have insecurity. We have disconnection. We have isolation. We, have, we see people through a tainted lens. We begin to miss our calling. We uh, have emptiness. We have blame, regret, fear, uh, emotional energy that's wasted, offense. All of these things happen as a result of this one lie that is lodged down in there. And so what I want to do is, how do you guys think we ought to just rip that one open, just, just tear that one to shreds and not let Satan have any more power in our life? Is anybody with me this morning? All right, take five, six, maybe seven of you. I'll take those and we'll just go to town here. We're, we're going to look at a story from the Bible where people had an opportunity 
to experience disconnection. They had an opportunity to do this, and here's how they handle it. So let's watch. In Mark chapter 2, there's a story that's pretty famous. It says this. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room, even outside the door, while he was preaching the word of God to them. So four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So what do they do? They get up on a roof. That's why I'm up on the roof. They got up. I mean, imagine the audacity of this. They get up on the roof and it says they began to tear and dig a hole through the roof above his head. And they lowered the man down on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, he said, my child, your sins are forgiven. Skip down to verse 10 in this this chapter. It says, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stun onlookers. They were all amazed, praising God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. It's a fascinating story. They show up, there's no room. They start digging a hole in the roof. Here's some things they could have done when they showed up, but they didn't. First of all, they could have got offended. They could have showed up and said, well, there's no room for people like us. There's no room for me. I don't belong. But that's not what they did. Listen, offense is one of the quickest ways to shut down the plan of God for your life. Offense is not something that happens to you. It's sin that lives in you. Let me say that again. Offense is not something that happens to you. It's sin that lives in us. And they decided they weren't going to be offended. They were going to live in grace and they were going to find another way. And so here, I know we're on video. We're watching this on video, but everybody participate with me real quick. Say this after me. Say, I belong. Let's say it again. Let's say it like we mean it. Say, I belong. And it's a statement of faith. That's the first thing they could have done. They could have got offended. The second thing is they they could have done this. They could have said, well, we just simply don't fit here. We just simply don't have a place here. And and that's not what they did. Listen, I, I know I said earlier that everyone belongs. We do belong. But I didn't say you get to pick where you belong. And this is where a lot of times we get offended. When I was a kid, uh, I played baseball, believe it or not. And when I played baseball, uh, the position they put me in was always right field. I loved right field. I'd go out there and I would try to catch fireflies and catch bugs and just pray that no, uh, <laughs> no ball came my way. And so as I grew up and I started to play softball, I got on a softball team and they were trying to decide where to put me. And so they said, well, Sean, your place is uh, right field. And they said it really weird and they said it kind of apologetically. And I'm like, why, why are you acting weird about it? Right field is my place. And, and they said, well, because right field is kind of where the worst players play. And so I'm like, what? Why hasn't anybody told me this all my life? The worst players play in right field. Listen, in the kingdom of God, there are no better or worse players. There are just players. But we have to find the place where God has put us through and so put us in, into. And so they said, listen, there's no place for us through the door but no one's tearing off the roof. Let's go tear down the roof and get through. Everybody say this again. Say, I belong. All right, let's say it again. Say, I belong. All right, number three, what they could have done is they could have got offended for someone else. See, if Satan can't get you upset, he'll get you upset on someone else's behalf. And and that's one of his tricks. Now, let me just talk specifically to parents right now. Let me just be digging deep real quick. You see, because a lot of times we can get past the I don't belong, but many times we get offended because our kids don't belong. 
well, my kids didn't get invited, or my kids aren't fitting in with the right crowd, or my kids didn't get to go to the party, or my kids aren't appreciated for who they really are, or no one's seeing who they are, they're getting overlooked, and we get offended because of our kids. They didn't make the team, they didn't make the cut. And listen, if Satan can drive a wedge here, he's got you. I say it again, everybody say, I belong, because you do. I belong. All right, listen. These guys did not fall prey to the lie. In fact, they exposed the lie. And they just knew, man, the truth is, I do belong. They exposed the lie and they saw amazing things happen. And I believe if we do the same thing, we will see the same thing too. We'll see amazing things happen in and through our lives. Man, that guy had to say some tough stuff. I'm glad I didn't have to preach that part of the sermon. So, uh, I belong. What, what are some of the things, if you feel disconnected today, what are some of the things we might be able to learn from this story of these four men who brought their friend to Jesus? I'm going to give you some things. of, If you feel like you're in a place of disconnection today, here's some things we can do, some practical things that we could do. The first thing I'd say is this. We practice the one another's by faith. What are the one another's? Well, there are several what we call one another's in Scripture in the New Testament. And basically, they're instructions for followers of Jesus to, to do. And uh, examples of this, one-third of them have to do with getting along with each other and with unity. Uh, be at peace with one another. Accept one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another. Don't complain about one another. One third of them have to do with loving, like love one another, be devoted to one another in love, through love serve one another. Roughly 15% deal with humility, give preference and honor to one another, be subject to one another, regard others more important than yourself. Some others you may be familiar with, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, pray for one another. So there's all these one another's in scripture that, that we can practice by faith. Those four men who brought their friend to Jesus, they were practicing the one another's. They were serving someone else. They were, no doubt, they were praying for their friend. They were doing all of this, practicing the one another's. I want you to hear me real carefully on this next point. Most of the one another's are not about what we do in the world but about what we do in this room with the people in this room. Not necessarily just in this room, but with the people in this room. Let me say that again. Most of the one another's, which there are lots of them, are not about what we do outside the walls. They're what we do with the people in this room. And if we can start doing the one another's by faith, guess what? You start to feel like you belong. It's amazing how whenever we start to do those by faith, even, though, even if no one else is doing them, we start to feel, when you start to pray for somebody, you start to feel like you belong. When you serve someone, when you bear somebody else's burdens, when you, when you serve them, when you honor them, all of a sudden you feel more connected. It's an amazing thing. We do that by faith. And some of you might say, well, I don't, I don't think we ought to be concerned with what's happening inside this building. You know, we're too concerned with what happens inside the walls of the church. We need to be out there ministering and serving the world, loving the world, reaching the world for Christ and all that. And I'd say, yes, we need to do that. Great, let's do that. But what happens is when we do that exclusively or the majority of that's what we do, what happens is we have a disconnect with the family here. And don't tell me that a disconnect with people in the body of Christ doesn't affect you reaching the world for Christ because it absolutely does. You can't have a disconnect with the family of God and then go try to reach more people to bring them into that disconnect. It doesn't make sense. 
And so most of what we're told to do is about what happens here. Now, some people would say, well, but that's important out there. We need to put all of our energy out there. Let me tell you what that's like. Let me give you an example. It'd be like a father, a dad who has a really important job. And his job, if he goes to work, he helps thousands of people, thousands of people. And, and tons of people are being helped or saved or healed or whatever it is, you know, make up whatever you want to make up there. He has a very significant job. He provides for his family. And he comes back, and even after impacting thousands of people, significant job, he doesn't have time to love his family, doesn't have time to love his kids. How many of you guys know we know that that's not right? We know that if you really love, have love, love cannot be compartmentalized. You can't say you have love for people and then not have love for your family. The same is true for us. We have an important mission in the body of Christ. We have a mission that says go. But we can't have genuine love. It can't be compartmentalized to outside the walls if it doesn't happen inside the walls. Listen, this is not the message I chose to preach. This is just the one God told me to preach, okay? So, so uh, I, I know that some people are going to get set free. Because there's been some deep places on the inside of you that you've, you've, you've kind of just said, I'll deal with this later. I'm telling you this morning, God is giving you a divine opportunity right now to have some freedom this morning. But there's got to be, we've got to have love for one another. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says it this way. And we know this. If I could speak all the languages of the, earth, of the earth and angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, became a martyr for Christ, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. How you guys know that's a pretty serious, that's pretty cut and dry right there. It's like so serious. And so what that, that's basically saying is all of the good, let me just lay it on the line. All of the good we want to do outside the walls is fake if we don't have love for one another. It's put pretty, pretty starkly right there, right? So this is an important thing. So how do you guys know it's okay to have fun in church, right? It's okay to have fun. So I'm going to give you an illustration for this and how this might look, okay? So this idea of having charity or having a charity or doing good works outside the wall with no charity or no love. You know, you can have charities with no charity. And so to give you a picture of what this might look like in a fun way, let's watch. Let's roll it. Everyone, Hi. welcome back. I'm Sawyer, and I'm on the board of directors for Kale. And I'm Madison, and my name has two eyes in it now. We're here to talk about my hubby's fave tax shelter, Charity. charity. Giving to charity is like such a good thing to do. Like one day I was driving and I was finishing my vegetarian gluten-free flatbread and it was my cheat meal. Um, I decided I was done because carbs and I looked outside the window and I saw a homeless man out there and I threw it at him. Charity. You're such an amazed purse. He's like probably a vegetarian now so you're also saving the animals. I hadn't even thought of that. Tip number two, give away what you don't want anymore, like your old carb food or clothes that you bought over six months ago. They're expired. Sometimes I don't even give those to charity because I don't want some sweet homeless babushka or something to be wearing outdated fry designer boots like an idiot. So instead I throw those into my freshwater well in the garden because 
I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You just care so much. It's my one flaw. So tip number one, start your own charity. I started a charity with my first dad's trust fund. And it's called the High Rise Kennel Society. Representing today. You're such a good friend. I have a rescue. I have a rescue too. I mean, it's like the hottest thing to do right now is to have a rescue dog. You guys, charity. Charing is caring. Charity, charity is, is carroting. The charity is for dogs whose owners have been arrested for insider trading and other white-collar crimes. They get used to a certain lifestyle, and then all of a sudden, boom, they have to sleep on a regular down pillow like an animal. I mean, isn't, isn't that what we're fighting for? Like, dogs are people, too. Right. You can't expect a dog who's been raised on Evian to all of a sudden drink tap. You really can't. And they can't go to normal schools. They have to be private. And they can't even walk because they spent their whole life living in a purse. This is one of our precious dogs, Chateau. His owner was a top executive at Fannie Mae. He's seen a lot of people get wronged. He's kind of gross. Can we not? I, I can't stand touching him. I, oh. Tip number seven, still take care of you. Right. Like, you know how we all get, we're just taking care of so many people that we forget to really take care of ourselves. Okay. No, I need to help you tomorrow. I need to take care of me. Who is it? my neighbor. She can't find her kid. See, you guys, this is a perfect example. She takes care of her so that she can do charity, you know, when it counts. Right, when it really matters. And if you're not into the idea of starting your own charity, just tell your husband you're starting a charity and then use the allowance that he gives you to buy lots of new purses for yourself. Or lipo. Like, either way, you're giving back to the world. Yeah, because everyone gets to see you. And you look amazed. You'll look amazed. We totes wreck lipo. Hashtag lipo for lipo. Tip number four, go on a charity trip. Yes, humanitarians. Yes, human humanity. Humanities. Humanitaries. Humanities. So go on a humanitarians trip and make mm. sure it's somewhere tropical and beautiful. Yes. Okay. We did a trip. It was so fulfilling. It was amazing. We went to this beautiful tropical place, but very, like, impoverished. We went to go dig a well. Yes. And we forgot our shovels, so we just took amazing pics. We did run out of time after that. But the thing is, like, if you don't take the picture, it, it didn't, didn't happen. happen. And, like, Instagram followers is not the point, but um, it's, it's kind the of point. the point. Yeah. Like, we could have dug that well. But, like, teach Amanda fish and you feed him for, like, a day. But then take a picture of it and you get, like, 10,000 more Instagram followers. I also just want to do a plug for my charity. It's called Street B&B. It's, like, Airbnb for homeless people. It lets the homeless people know what streets they can sleep on and then like I get paid like they have to pay me so like I hope that we've expired you too like give back and just make the world a better place it's not that hard even you can do it yeah and you're just basic uh. peace and love peace and love <laughs> can I still smell the dog it smells so bad in here all right if I haven't ran out all the religious spirits in the building you may leave now. Uh, no, it's, it's, just, it's just a fun way to understand that, you know what? If we don't have genuine love, it really doesn't mean a lot, does it? It, it really feels empty. And that's what the scripture is trying to communicate there, that it really feels empty. So practice one another's by faith. The second thing we can do is this. Help someone else belong. 
You see, those four men that were carrying their friend, it wasn't about them belonging. They were trying to help their friend belong, and that, that became their mission. I had a, a friend of mine some time back. He left the church, and he, and he said, you know, we're just not, my family's just not excited about the church anymore. I need to go find a church I'm excited about. And I'm thinking, you know, it, what? <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to be called out, but just not excited. Find someone to serve. Find someone to disciple. Lead your family through revival. It's not all about you being excited because the Bible talks about how a church is like Christ and the church is like a marriage. See, a lot of people, we we see them do this in natural life. It's like, well, you know, that marriage, that first marriage didn't satisfy. Maybe the next person is going to have the it factor. And we know it doesn't work that way. And yet we try to treat church life that way. Like, I've just got to go find the next one that's more exciting. No, what needs to happen needs to happen in us through us, for other people. Help someone else belong. What if you made it your mission? Not to belong, but to help someone else belong. By doing that, you would all of a sudden feel a sense of belonging. Because I think that, sadly, we're usually much better at helping someone disconnect than to connect. It's like, oh, you're disconnected? You don't feel like you belong? Come over here with a bunch of us who don't feel connected. We are actually good at connecting people, aren't we? But we like to connect with people who are disconnected rather than help people to connect. I'm preaching truth today because I assume that's what you want. So what if we made it our mission to help someone else belong when when you help someone else belong, you find belonging? Number three is this. Pick up your mat. Jesus looked at the person and he said, hey, it's time for you to pick up your mat and go home. When... That mat represented that man's identity. Jesus told him, I want you to walk out different than when you came in. When people saw this man on the mat, that mat represented his identity. And Jesus said, it's time to roll it up and to move on. And I believe that some of us, that's what Jesus is saying to you specifically today. It's time for you to roll up the mat, that identity of I don't belong, and to walk out different than when you came in. It's time for us to, have, have to roll up that thing that has defined us, that's defined the internal culture of our life and of our heart, and to roll it up and to walk out. You say, but Sean, I'm hurt. Sean, I've been wounded. Sean, I've got a hard heart now. And I would say, in all love and sincerity, welcome to the club. Because as a pastor, I've been doing this for many years, and I've got, I'm not immune to that. If I were to take a microphone around to everybody in this room, I guarantee you there would be levels, maybe different levels, but every single person here could tell you a story of hurt. And here's what I'd like to communicate to you, that we serve a God that is not just big enough to forgive us of our sins. He's big enough to heal our deepest hurts. And I don't know where we got off thinking that God was big enough to to give me eternity and forgiveness, but not big enough to heal my pain. He's big enough. He's big enough not just to heal bodies, he can heal hearts. In fact, that's why he came. He came to heal the brokenhearted. So there's good news for you today. If you're in pain, you say, I I want to roll up the mat. I want to have a new identity. There's good news for you today. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine in the medical field uh, this past week, and uh, he told me a story, and I'm probably going to botch up the story, but I'll tell you what I took away from it anyway. But he told me a story about this Olympic cyclist, and uh, she was either training or in a race or something, and as she was going up this hill, did some sort of damage to her back that kind of just 
couldn't keep going. So they had to stop and do rehab or whatever they had to do, take some time off to get healed up. And so trying to get her back in and get going again, they had her on the stationary bike and everything's good to go. She seems like she's healed up, did all the stuff, the tests and different things. Looks like everything's good to go. So they put her out there on the, the real deal and she starts riding. Everything's fine until she starts to go uphill. And as soon as she starts to go uphill, instant like immense pain, like the same pain that she had had before as far as intensity, like couldn't do it. Just no matter what to try, just couldn't do it. So they start doing all these tests. They start looking at the tissues and different things. And they, they're saying, well, it, the, the back is not injured the way that it was before when she injured. It's been healed up. Yet her brain was still telling her and registering pain. And it's because even though she didn't have damage there anymore, there was still sensitivity and her brain was still registering it because it's something that they, they call what fires together, wires together in our brain. So whenever we have an event or we have something, these two things come together that our brain attaches to it. How many of you guys ever had a song play and it instantly takes you back to a certain time in your life, right? Or a certain smell or whatever it is. That's what happens in our brain. The same thing happens with pain. And so they knew that she was actually not damaging her back or that it had been fixed to that portion. And so they tried to convince her this, but she felt pain every time she went uphill. And so here's what they did. They took and put a stationary bike. They put a screen in front of her like a road, you know, like so she's pedaling and watching, making her feel like she's actually on a road. And then they, they tilted the screen to simulate her going uphill. Instant pain. She's on a stationary bike. And once they finally convinced her that it's, it's the pain that you've been healed, that if you push it, you're not going to be doing damage, she began to realize, if I can push it, I can train harder, I can go up hills. And even though she would try, she would feel pain at first, eventually the brain finally registered, I'm not doing damage, and she kept pushing in and pushing in and pushing in. And eventually the pain gradually decreased. And, and what I want to tell you today is maybe you've experienced pain in the body. And I don't mean your physical body. Maybe you've experienced pain in the body of Christ. And it's like anytime you walk into that group, you feel pain. You may, you may walk into a church service, you feel pain. You may walk around certain people and you feel pain. And, and I'm just going to suggest to you, what if... You're in a healthy, what if you're healthier than you think you are? What if, what if this environment, what, what if this church, let me just speak about this church. This church is not a perfect church. <laughs> I know because I'm in it, right? It's not a perfect church. But I, I will say that it's a healthy church because as I look around, even though the lights are low, I look around and I see faces of people that I know that I've walked with for years and years. And I'm just being honest with you guys. These are some of the most generous, selfless, loving God, going after God people I've ever met in my life. And so it's not perfect, but what if you're fired and wired together from some past experience and you're afraid that if you push it, more damage is going to happen. But what if it's in the pushing that freedom and the pain starts to leave? What if you had that revelation this morning that it's in the pushing in that all of a sudden the healing begins to come? What if you could be more, what if you could be more free? What if you are more free than you even understand? 
That's the kind of freedom that God wants you to walk in. That's simply renewing our mind to what the truth actually is. You do belong. You do belong. Even if you don't practice the one another's in this church, we're still going to love you the best we can. Even if you don't do any of these things, we're going to try to help you belong. Can everybody just say this again by faith? Say, I belong. Now let's say it by faith. Let's say, even if you don't feel like it right now, just say, God, I'm going to give it a faith, faith container right now. Let's say it again. Say, I belong. And we make that statement by faith. We're going to close up. We're going to have the worship team come back up here, and we're going to receive communion. We've got tables in front. We've got tables behind. When we receive communion, here's what happens. It's not just reminding us of the body that was broken for us on the cross. It's not just reminding us of the blood that was spilled and the victory that we have. It's also reminding us that we are one together, that we share that in common. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. See, communion is not just about the cross, even though it is, It's also saying and making a declaration by faith that when we come to the table together, that we come and we share something. Every single one of us shares something together. We share that we are the body of Christ. And as we come and we receive these elements, we go back to our seat and receive them there in your seat during this next song. I want you just to open up your heart and allow Jesus to fill up that container with grace. And just just to give you grace to overflowing, would you guys stand up with me as we begin to pray and just prepare your hearts right now? Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, we're not perfect people. We're not perfect people. But God, I pray that you would help us even more and more to love one another. Lord, help us to be known by our love one for another. Lord, I pray for revelation to happen right now in people's hearts at the deepest levels where there's been this this thing that's sown in there of you don't belong. Lord, I, I pray by revelation of the Holy Spirit right now, they would hear you gently whisper, you belong. You belong. Let freedom come right now. Lord, we're so thankful for the sacrifice that you made. It's not in vain. We don't receive your grace in vain. We know you're big enough for salvation, but you're also big enough to heal our deepest hurts. Lord, I pray for that revelation to come that as we push in, we actually find healing. We actually find that the pain begins to diminish. And Lord, I speak that out by faith that that would be the experience as people roll up their mat and walk out different than when they came in. But we're so thankful for your transformative grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's come and receive.